Continue to worship with me as I pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for that truth. It's just who you are. You are a good, good father. And because of that, we never fight alone. So Lord, now as we continue to worship you by opening up the power that is your word, may our hearts say, speak, for your servant is listening. Right now in this place, we know that there is a battle being waged for the souls of people. And so in the name of Jesus, the name that makes demons flee, we compel Satan and his demons to hell where they belong that your light might shine to us and through us. By the power of your Spirit and in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please have a seat and get comfortable. We're going to be here a little while. I wonder when people drive by our little school here on Sunday mornings and they see our signs in the cars in the parking lot, if they're aware of the fact that there's a battle being waged here. I wonder if when they drive by, if they, were, if they ever ask the question or wonder, is there an army that meets in that place? I want to show you a glimpse of that. Open up your Bibles as we continue to worship God in his word to 2 Kings. Not 2 Corinthians, we'll get there in a minute. 2 Kings. 2 Kings is in your Old Testament. So towards the left half of your Bible, you're going to get to some big books after you get through the, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You're going to get to the Samuels. You're going to get to the Kings. If you get to the Chronicles, you've gone too far. We're going to go to 2 Kings. I think it's 2 Kings. I hope it's 2 Kings. Oh, it helped if I was in Kings. I'm in Samuel. Um, that would be why. I can't talk and think at the same time. And I want to show you a glimpse of this battle that is being waged right now, just like it was being waged here. This is a scene in the Old Testament that happened probably seven or 800 years before Christ as God's people were being attacked by the enemy. He was the king of Aram, and he was, he was out to annihilate God's people. And, and the man of God, Elisha, not Elijah, but Elisha, is now in, he's, he's got Elisha cornered in a city, and the city is surrounded by the enemy, by the war. And, and, and Elisha and his servant are there, and that's it for God. So you've got this, this massive enemy on one side, and one man and his, and his sword bearer, his servant, on the other. And look at, I'm going to pick it up in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 15. 2 Kings, sorry, why do I keep saying the wrong thing? 2 Kings, thank you. Chapter 6, verse 15. It says, Now when the attendant of the man of God, that's Elisha, was risen, had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots were circling the city. So there's the king of Aram's army. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he's terrified. He's like, they're come, he knows why they're there. He doesn't see any way out. All he sees is the size of the enemy. So he, Elisha, answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. So he's asking God to open his servants, his, his attendants' eyes to the truth, the reality that they're living in. And the Lord opened the servants' eyes and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. 
And when they came down to him, when those chariots of fire came down to Elisha, Elisha prayed, Lord, strike this people with blindness, I pray. So he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Guys, here's the thing. We never fight alone. Elisha's attendants thought thought they were all alone. They weren't. He just couldn't see where the fight was really being waged. I loved how Brian shared that. But guys, we have to get our focus right on where we fight our problem is that our, that our radar is bad. So we have to get our radar tuned to where the fight is really happening. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we talk about spiritual warfare. So today's topic, if you haven't figured it out already, is about spiritual warfare. And, and, and like we do every Sunday here, we teach a text. This, this text is about spiritual warfare, but it doesn't say even a fraction of all that God's Word says about spiritual warfare. Turn to 2 Corinthians, so all the way to the other end of your Bible, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, is where we're going to be this morning for the rest of our time here. 2 Corinthians 10, and it's a picture, it's, it's a glimpse of what God's Word says about spiritual warfare, because I'm, 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 I, ask, I say every Sunday, do, do the daily readings in the toolkit is do the, do, um, do the questions that are in the toolkit. Probably no Sunday more than any. I, I want to just beg you to do that. Please do your toolkit readings. Because to talk a little bit and sort of dabble in where the spiritual warfare is and not really do, like meditate on it throughout the week is inviting attack without knowing how to defend. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about how we fight the enemy today. But your readings will this week. So I, I, I implore you, please, please, please do your readings. Today's passage is specifically about relational conflict. Now what does that have to do with spiritual warfare? Here's the answer. Everything. Everything. Paul is writing to a church that is a train wreck. They're suing each other. They're backbiting. They're fighting. They're, and he is, but he's going to show us here's where the fight really is. Guys, hear this. The conflict that you have with the person in front of you is satanic. The conflict that you feel in your heart towards another is satanic. Guys, that is not an overstatement. That is the truth according to God's word. And that conflict can be something as little as the person who cut you off on the freeway in that instant of rage, road rage that you feel, even as a born-again believer, or it can be a knockdown, drag-out brawl between you and your spouse. Both of those things are from the enemy. We have to get that. Because we have to understand that. Otherwise, we're not fighting with the right equipment. We're not even fighting in the right place. And we cannot win. Satan wants to destroy relationships. Satan, that's his, guys, what what did he do in the garden? We looked at it last week. We're actually going to be back in there again next week, Lord willing. What did he attack in the garden? Well, he attacked God's word. But he was attacking Adam and Eve's relationship with God. And then right after he wins that fight, he starts attacking relationships among people. And Cain kills his brother Abel. That's the, that, that 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 is Satan's primary thing. Because his primary thing is to destroy relationship. Most of all, so that people will not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we have to know, to have a winning strategy on how to, how to battle in spiritual warfare, we have to know where the fight is coming from, 
And then how do we win that battle? Like how do we, what is our strategy for fighting? So today's question is, where is the source of and solution to your conflict? Where, and if, and if, you get, if, if you walk out of here today just kind of going, the next time I feel conflict in my heart, which will probably be sometime within minutes of the service ending, if you're like me, do you, do you at the very least recognize that is from the enemy? Guys, if, you get, if, you, if that's all you get out of today, that's a win to me. Because most of us don't see that. And, and from the point of not recognizing that, we spiral it into something conflict isn't. Now let's look and see what Paul, Paul in this text addresses what I'm talking about. The first thing he's going to talk about is, guys, we have to know who we think we're fighting. Who do we think we're fighting? Look at what he says in the first two verses of chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you with meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am weak when face to face with you, but bold to together with you when, pre when absent, I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with you with, with the confidence with which I purpose to, to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. Now, that, that's a big mouthful. So it, it, I want to show you how, how the New Living Translation tr uh, paraphrases verse 2 because makes, it makes it far more clear. It says, well, so this is what Paul's saying. I'm begging you now so that when I come, I won't have to be bold with those who think we act from human motives. Here's the thing. Paul is being attacked by people in Corinth about the motivation of his ministry. They are attacking Paul's heart. Right? They, they, he is, and, 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 if, and you know, if you've been here for a while, we talk about Paul a lot. I mean, he, he was brutalized his whole life, before Christ and after Christ. It didn't get better for him. It got worse after he came to Christ relationally. People were constantly attacking him. But he's going to show us where the attack is from. He's going to show us that, that, that the fight that he's facing is not really with these people who are attacking him. So the question I have, I have a couple of questions. Who are you fighting for? Your own kingdom or God's kingdom? Who are you fighting with? The person or people in front of you, the circumstances that you're, that you're seeing, or the enemy who is actually creating that dissension in your life? And then the last thing is, how are you fighting? I see, look at how Paul wants to fight. With meekness and gentleness of Christ. Does that describe most of your dealing with conflict? As you deal with conflict in your life, would words like meekness and gentleness describe you? Much like the word love that we've turned into something that the Bible says it isn't, conflict is something too that we, we think of all conflict as bad. Right? We think of every anytime we have to admonish somebody or exhort even somebody that somehow that's bad. That's also the enemy at work. There, Paul's going to tell you there is a place for conflict. There is a place to confront. But that doesn't mean it has to be evil and ugly. Right? Be angry, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4. But do not sin. There's the trick in Christian conflict. That's Ephesians 4:26. Jesus gives us the example, right? He says, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, for I am what? Gentle and humble. 
Paul is just saying, I want to be like Christ, gentle and humble in how I deal with this conflict that I have to deal with. He's not ignoring it. This is not just, well, you know what, I'm just going to pretend like I didn't see that because I don't want to get into it, conflict avoidance. This is saying, I want to deal with it in a way that is God-honoring. So here's another question. How do you approach people that you know you need to admonish or confront? How do you approach situations where you know there might be tension? To, to Brian's, Brian's demonstration today, are you praying? As you're walking into those moments, are you praying, Lord, help this meeting to go well. Lord, help this conversation with my spouse to go well. Lord, help give me the words to speak words of grace and truth and life into this person. How about this one? When, when, you, get, when you want to send an email to me or to somebody else, have you prayed over it? before you throw up all over your keyboard and hit the send button. And, I, and praise God, I don't, I don't get those from you guys, I, so please don't do it today. But I, I don't, you guys are a gracious bunch. So I, but, but, I, but I have been in places where that's true. I've been in churches where that's true. Where it's this never-ending barrage of just bang, bang, bang. I'm like, have they prayed over this? How about on your social media feeds? Before you tweet something nasty about somebody else because their political thing doesn't match your political thing, or you post something on your Instagram or whatever else you're doing, are you stopping and praying, Lord, is this in any way exalting Christ? Or is this just me exacting my pound of flesh and giving my opinion? With meekness and gentleness. He knew hard conversations had to be had. Paul was... Guys, Paul was not conflict avoidance. Neither was Jesus. Jesus knew hard conversations had to be had. It's just how we do it that makes the difference in our witness or not. But let's look and see from where Paul knows these conflicts are coming. Look at our next point. So for us to know where, our, where the source and the solution to our conflict is, we have to not only know who we're fighting, we have to know where the fight is found, like really found. Look at what he says in verses 3 and 4. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, because the weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. That's our memory verse this week. If you haven't memorized it, do it. I'm telling you, you need that. If you've ever been in places where spiritual battle is intense, you need to grab a hold. I, I don't have time for this, but just when we were in Costa Rica a couple years ago, we were in a house that was filled with spiritual warfare. And Chad Ryan and Ferris Jarrett are, are engaging with this very Satan-filled woman, and they're back, and, and we don't know what's going on because they're speaking Spanish, and the rain is pounding on this metal tin shed of a house that we're living in, and we're all just in this room, packed in this room, and all I could think to do I remember it was Emma, I think, leaned over and said, Dad, can we pray together? And all I could think to do was just recite that verse over and over. For the weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses, for the weapons of our warfare. And I, just, I, I probably as close as I've ever come to praying in tongues. Because I was, I was praying it so fast, it just started to become like blah, 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 blah. I knew what I was praying. My mouth couldn't keep up. Guys, we need those. We need to grab those, those moments and grab God's word and apply them to defeat the enemy. He says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. He's saying, guys, what he means by walk in the flesh, we still have, he's saying, I still have flesh. I still have the sinful part of me. 
I still struggle. I think back to, it's the Galatians 5. The deeds of the flesh are evident. They are all these bad things, mostly having to do not with lust and things like that. All those are listed. Mostly having to do with things like anger, bitterness, envy, strife, relational conflict. Not personal, dark, ugly sin. Not the biggies that we think of in society. Just being mad. But the, deeds of, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Romans 7. Paul takes a whole chapter to be like, Ah! Wretched man that I am. Who is going to save me? This is years after he's been walking with Christ and he's still going, I am sick of my flesh. I am sick of my flesh. I'm sick of the weak part of me that allows the enemy in. Who's going to save me? What's his answer? Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. He just has to remind himself of that truth. Guys, my flesh, this is something I realized a few years ago. My flesh, here's a, here, a mental picture, maybe it'll help you, it'll help me. My flesh, I pictured like my flesh having these buttons that the enemy can push. Like a, like a vending machine. I want a Coke today, so I'm going to push that button and out comes a Coke. Or I want a Sprite today, or I want a juice box today. Or, but, these, but these things are anger and envy and lust. And, and guys, the enemy is cunning. I used to think that what the enemy did was he would take like a whole bunch of darts and just throw them at me and see which one stuck. Oh no, he's way smarter than that. He knows in the moment where my weakness is. And he doesn't just throw something willy-nilly at me. He goes up and he goes, think, and he pushes that button. And man, can I get spun up. And before I know it, I am so fleshed out. I don't know which end is up. And I've left my Savior somewhere else. We have to know that Satan is a button pusher. You have to learn what your buttons are. And that's why it's so important. And if you need to go back to the topic of the toolkit on renewing your mind, because if you remember, when we, when we were talking about, about renewing your mind, even, even back in our Advent season, we were talking about love in Romans 8. And he talks about Paul, to, after he talks about all his deeds in the flesh in Romans 7. and Romans 8, he says, I've come to realize that nothing, not height, nor depth, not things on earth, not things spiritual, Nothing can separate me from the love of God. What was he doing there? He's reminding himself, man, no matter what I feel like, what's what Kylie said, no matter, if, if you have to just speak the word of truth and let your feelings catch up, do it. Evil powers will never have the last word if you don't let them. Our God wins. That's the truth. Isaiah said it this way, do not fear. This is God speaking through, through Isaiah. Do not fear, for I, God, am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. Do you know who I am? He's like, don't be looking around, just look up. Remember who I am. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Because that, we've got to cling to promises like that. You've got to claim promises like that, especially when you're not feeling it. Don't wait for your feelings to come around. They won't. Come to Christ and let him deal with it. But we do not war like unregenerate people. Look at what he says in verse 4. The weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Our warfare is, is just a way of saying our, our strategy to fight is not an earthly strategy, it's a spiritual strategy. And then he says they're divinely powerful. Here's what that means. They are of God, divinely, and powerful, more than able. 
So he's saying our strategy is not of the earth, it is of, it's a spiritual strategy, and our weapons are, are gods and more than able because they are gods. And then he says, for the destruction of fortresses. What that means is the demolition. As It's a picture in, in the original language, it's a picture of scraping a piece of, of like knocking down a building and scraping it clean. So here's, what he, here's another way to say that. The way we fight is from God and is more than able to bring down and wipe away any stronghold. So what are the strongholds? Here are the strongholds. Because the strongholds are anything that are anti-God, that are, that are thoughts that are anti-God's word. They're things like the, the partial gospel is a stronghold. If you're preaching to yourself or you're part of a church that's only preaching part of the gospel, that's a stronghold. You've got to get rid of that. And if you have friends in those places, you've got to get them out of there because they're only hearing part of the gospel. Things that are anti-Christ. Because we have to renew our mind with who we are and who God says we are. Jody, in our, in our pre-service prayer time, Jody Toot was just praying this powerful prayer of, which it was just, uh, just saying, okay, get our eyes off of us, get our eyes back onto you and who you, who you are and who you say we are, and the, and the enemy no longer seems so big. Guys, greater is, you're going to hear this at the end of the service today, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We need not fear Satan. We just need to be aware because he is real. So what are those strongholds? They're anything that distract us from the truth and the beauty that is the gospel. Guys, and I've said this before recently, Satan does not care if you believe God exists. Satan doesn't even care if you know about Jesus Christ. How do I know that? Because he does. He knows God exists, and he knows who Jesus is. And so do all of his demons. All he cares about is that we don't believe it. He wants to keep you from the cross where Christ said it. The battle is finished. That's all Satan cares about. Because we are so busy fighting these earthly, ba fighting these earthly battles, sorry, fighting these earthly battles with each other and just in the world that I'm not sure we have a whole lot left to fight the fight of faith. We are so spun up arguing about just ridiculous little things towards each other within the church, outside of the church. I mean, things that are important, but they get us just into a rage. I mean, guys, the abortion issue is important. The fact that our own senator would not put her hand on a Bible to be sworn in is a, is a big deal. But, but as Brian reminded us, guys, if, if you're just going to get all spun up and start writing articles and posts and, 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 and whatever else you're doing and having your conversations be about, where is me, look at our politics and look at our po political system. Guys, you are fighting the wrong battle the wrong way, and it's a complete waste of time. And, and here's the deal. Whether it's politics or, or just even arguing, bickering in your house. We are big bickerers in the Troyer home. I've said it. There, it's, it's honest. <laughs> Chief among sinners. Uh, it's not like they do it. We do it. Every single time. Satan is just laughing. He's just like, look at that. <laughs> He's like, look at how easy it is to get this guy sidetracked. Because the whole time we're bickering, we're wasting energy, spiritual energy. Not doing his kingdom work. And that's true. Guys, I'm not saying politics is not important. I'm not saying dealing with family drama is not important. I'm, not, I'm saying recognize from where it's coming from and fight it at the source. 
and don't, don't, wa- don't walk into your place of work having listened to Fox News all the way to work so enraged at what's wrong in our country that you cannot possibly be a light where you work. Okay, pastor, so how do we fight? Here's four quick ways. Here's how we fight. Four quick ways. First, humble yourself. Ugh. Really? Start there? First, humble yourself. Know that we can't win this fight on our own, but also, I mean, it's what, it's what, one of your daily readings this week is going to be James chapter 4. For he, sa- he says, in James 4, 6, he says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, therefore submit to God. He's saying humble yourself under God. Guess what the next verse is? Resist the devil, and he will flee you. That's the power we have. He will flee us. Satan is scared of believers who are humble towards their God because he knows who's standing behind them. But if we're standing up so big on our own, on our own soapbox, on our own platform, that the enemy doesn't even see the God that's standing behind us, he's not afraid of me. When I get down on my face before the Lord and go, help me, Lord, help me overcome this, the enemy flees because he sees the God who's behind me. Second, stay connected to Christ. Stay connected to Christ. So first, we have to be humble. Second, we have to stay connected to Christ. Paul, the guy that wrote this letter we're in right now, Paul uses the phrase, in Christ, 169 times in his letters. I think he's reminding himself. 169 times is a lot, is a lot of like, times to rewrite the same thing over and over. Why? Because he's saying, I have to be in Christ, 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 I have to be in Christ. I have nothing unless I'm in Christ. Third, we must be in the Word of God. In order to be in Christ, we have to be in the Word. That's my soapbox. I won't spend any time on it other than to point out in our invocation passage today, how did the Son of God thwart the attacks of Satan? The Word of God. Every single time Satan comes to him in the wilderness and says, bang, 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 bang. Every time Jesus comes back with not, hey, I don't think that's true. He, said, he comes back with, here's what, here's what my dad's word says about it. Now get out of here. Leave me alone. Last thing is we need to be dependent on the Spirit. So be humble, stay connected to Christ, be in his word, and use his word to fight, and then be dependent on the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5.16. So every moment by moment, I'm living in the Spirit or I'm living in the flesh. That's it. At the end of, my, at the end of the day, I'm like, which one defined me more? And I confess to you often, it's the wrong one. So what are the devil's ways of fighting? I said, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about this, but what are the, so, so here's, here's how we fight. What are the devil, we need to see, how does he come to us? Here's three primary ways he comes to us, real quick. Physical need and desires. So number one, physical needs and desires. This is how the enemy comes to us. Physical needs and desires, possessions and power, and pride. Physical needs, power, possessions and power, security, and pride. The Apostle John says it this way in 1 John, I know you've used this verse a lot, John Morris, um, John 2, John, 1 John 2, right? 1 John 2, 15 through 17, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. That's how the enemy wins. 
If we let those things go, that, that's how he comes at us because he knows in our flesh that's where we're weak. So I would ask you to just consider where in those areas are most of your struggles. And then I would ask you to think about, okay, so where are most of my conflicts? And my guess is they match. In other words, if my struggle is for power, control, chief among sinners, and any of you that have been discipled by me for very long will say that, hopefully you'll say that I'm getting better, but that this is one of my big struggles, and thank you for not saying amen, Gary Brawley, is because my struggle is power and control, when I feel like I have lost control of a person I'm discipling, which is sinful all by itself to think that, I get angry. My conflict isn't with Gary. My conflict is with my sinful nature to be in control. The question we have to see, so what do we, so, so, so this leads us to the, the third thing. What are, so what are, what are our strategies for fighting these three things? Like what are our strategies for fighting the, the, the ways he comes at us? First, I have to recognize that God is sovereign over Satan. That God is sovereign over everything. Whether that be a Gary Brawley or some, something that, that the enemy throws in front of me that I'm not supposed to be looking at. God is sovereign, and I cannot blame the devil and just go, you know what, that was the enemy, and I just couldn't help myself. Yes, you could. How do I know? Because God is sovereign over all of it. How do I know that? Because one of your daily readings this week is going to be in Job, and you're going to see it. God is sovereign over Satan. Satan is a tool to God. So what I have to do is in that moment, I have to recognize, and this is a Paul tripism, I have to recognize that whatever that thing is, is not the cause of my anger or my lust or my whatever the thing is. That, that thing is the occasion God is using to conform me into Christ-likeness. Then I recognize that attack as something that, is, that God is allowing to grow me and to be, to be Jesus. I can thank him for it. And then run if it's an enemy attack. Or fight if it's one I should fight. So one, see that the attacks are... Are, are from Satan, but they're sovereignly controlled. They're, it's not our circumstances. It's not the person in front of us that really is our enemy. It is the enemy that is our enemy. Second, we must trust that God will help us overcome it. He promises that he will. Third, we have to turn to Christ and armor up. It's what There's, there's a handout in your bulletin that, that shows the armor of God. It's what Brian talked about. Fourth, we have to claim his promises. So one, recognize that the attacks are from Satan, but they're sovereignly controlled. Two, we have to trust that God will help us. Three, turn to Christ and armor up. Fourth, claim his promises. That leads us to our last point. Where is the source of and solution of your conflict? First, we have to get right who we think we're fighting. Second, we have to take it to the fight to the right place. It's in the heavenlies. And third, we have to know what the fight is for. Look at the last three verses of our passage. He says, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up to the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider within himself, just as he is Christ's, 
so also are we. Ultimately, here's all Paul's saying here. Who's in and who's out? Guys, let me just bottom line this for you. The fight is for the souls of people. The fight is for the souls of people. The fight is not for the future of our country. The fight is not for victory in your marriage, like as far as who gets to win this next battle. The fight is not for your children. The fight is for the souls of people. That's it. All the rest of this stuff is just going to burn anyway. And every time we fight about something that isn't about the souls of people, the enemy has won in distracting us. If we're so busy, and, and, and I get it, the, the, there are real issues in our world that really need to be fought after, but if we're constantly fighting those things, whether they're personal struggles or political issues or whatever they are, if we're constantly fighting those and we're never getting around to talking about the souls of people, the enemy is won in the end. Because if, if, if we think we're going to legislate morality and somehow that's going to win people to the kingdom, it's not. What we have to do is recognize that the enemy is a liar and a distractor, and a deceiver, and don't let him win. The world wants us to forget about God, he just, it, it, the, because the enemy does. He wanted them to forget about God in the garden. He wants us to forget about God in the, in the church. Guys, I was, I was in a class yesterday where the, where the um, speaker, the professor, was talking about being in a group of, of pastors of, of the mega churches here in the valley, and one of the pastors of that mega church said this, we are interested in serving cheeseburgers to our people, not steak. That should terrify us. That should terrify us that right now in, in the valley, there are people sitting in churches today that are just being fed fluff and thinking they're in. And Paul is sitting here saying, guys, it is so, there are people who are saying that I am not of Christ. And at the end, when it's all said and done, this is all going to shake out. So once we're, once we're affirmed that you are in Christ, you're going to see who isn't. And that's what's happening in our world. Because that's what's happening in our church. There's just getting to be a, a larger separation between who is obviously of the kingdom of God and who is not. We have not cornered the market on holiness. Cornerstone Church is not the only church to praise God. There are lots of really good gospel preaching churches out there. But we have this idea that the church is losing. That the, that the church of Jesus Christ is losing, and that's not true. Guys, more people have come to faith in Christ in the last 20 years in the world than at any 20-year period in human history. Just not here. Why? Because the church has gotten so dim in our country. We have to get back to being the light and salt. Guys, it's, it's, what, it's what this series we're talk, upon this rock that we're talking about. When Peter says that upon you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus' answer is, you are right. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Satan is not going to win. Guys, we have, to, we have to remind ourselves that ultimately this is a fight about souls, and the God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the glory that is the gospel. And we have to get past all of our other ridiculous arguments and just get to the argument that matters. And that is, do you believe Jesus is who he says he is? Because that's where the victory is found. I'm going to invite the music team to come up.
And I'm not going to have you turn there, but as we respond to just what we're hearing, I want to read to you how the story ends, in case you didn't know. Because it's important for us to renew our minds with the truth that regardless of what we think personally or what we even see within the church or within our society, Jesus wins. It is finished. So in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11, so this is, the, this is how it ends. And I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire and his, on his head are many diadems and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on a white horse. And from his mouth came a sharp sword, so that with it he might strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. A few verses down it says this, And then I saw the beast, that's Satan, and the kings of the earth, and their armies assembled to make war against Christ, who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophets who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and who were worshiping his image. These two were thrown into the lake of fire that burns with brimstone. And then chapter 20 talks about the final judgment. And then chapter 21 Here's how it ends. This is, this is how the, the rest of eternity begins. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Write these words, for they are faithful and true. Now get this, guys. Then he, Jesus, said to me, It is done. It is done. It is done. I and the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give to the one who thirsts from the fount of living water. Father, I thank you for that truth. Lord, I thank you for the truth that it is done. That the outcome is certain. I thank you that Christ has come here to say it is finished, to pay the price and just like he did in the garden, the enemy is trying to convince us that that's not true. That there must be some other way. Because if he can keep us from the cross of Jesus Christ, he can keep us out of eternity with you and drag us into hell with him. And in the name of Jesus, I compel him away. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would remember the victory that is found on the cross. That even as we're in the midst of this, where, where the battle still is being waged around us, we would remember that not only is the outcome certain, but that Christ has won. Lord, I pray that you would help us to shine your light brightly, regardless of how we feel about it, regardless of, what, of, of, of the moments that we're in where the enemy is pushing our buttons. 
Lord, remind us of who we are to you and who you are to us. Lord, let us live victoriously in Christ alone. In his name we pray. Amen.